Hi, I'm Todd Duby. I'm an architect at CarMax. Been there two years. Um, this presentation is a follow-up. We spoke in the spring at Azure Data Fest. Uh, I want to do a follow-up on some of the stuff that we've done, some really cool stuff at CarMax. Um, I'm an architect for our data science machine learning platforms. And um, I'm Julia Barnhart, and I'm team manager of the data science machine learning platforms team. How long have you been at CarMax? Three months. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, does everyone know CarMax? Who's the perfect customer? If not, you should be, and you need to be. A uh, really cool company uh, based out of Richmond, Virginia. Um, we're on an omni-channel journey. Uh, I'll explain that in another slide. But we're a pretty darn big company. Um, we're going to top almost, I think we have revenue. I forget how you took that out. Legal. We'll top almost $19 billion this year. Not a lot of people remember that or think about that. 200 plus stores across the United States only. Uh, we do a tremendous amount of business. Buying cars selling cars, wholesale, and finance. Uh, really cool company based in Richmond. We're a Fortune 500 company. Uh, the best part about it is we've been the Fortune 100 best companies 15 years in a row, hopefully 16 years in a row. Really cool culture, really cool company to work for, really cool people to work with, uh, to hold in the audience as well. Mm -hmm. Anyone have any questions on CarMax? Happy to answer We still use cars. We didn't, uh, didn't <laughs> Uh, we're on an omni-channel journey, so what we're trying to do and accomplish with all of our customers anywhere in the United States, we're trying to allow you to find your car any way you want, on your mobile device, on your browser, walking into a store, however you want to do. You can call. Our call centers now are open 24-7. You can call and just talk to somebody about cars that you want to look at, and they're happy to help you and help you along your journey. The other thing we're trying to do is we'll meet you anywhere to finish that purchase of that car. So we will bring the car to you at work. We can drop it off here at, the, at work here. You can complete your paperwork in the office. You can do your appraisal right here in the parking lot. You can go home with a new car uh, from CarMax. So we're on that journey. Uh, we've got new call centers open up. A lot of technology we're redeploying. Really cool stuff. A lot of it is enabled because of data science. Anyone have questions on Omnichannel? I hope everyone is browsing CarMax.com right now. <laughs> Not paying attention to us. Not paying attention to us. Um, I have an hour to speak. I'll go as slow as I can. I'm from Detroit, so I talk really fast. Uh, Julia is from, not from Detroit, but she also talks really fast, so <laughs> please ask questions. Uh, July of 2018, so yes, about a year, a little year and a half ago, we set on a journey to kind of really enable or empower our data scientists, give them the access to the size of data that they need, give them tools that they're used to, Python, Jupyter Notebooks, all the different libraries and uh, models and things they want to do. Uh, give them a platform that they can use anywhere in their company because our laptops just aren't big enough to bring large data sets down. We have some really cool, powerful systems at CarMax, but you know, how do they get access to that data, bring it together with other data that they want to look at? This could be third-party data, householding data, loan data, could be other kind of data they want to bring in. How do we empower them to do that? Uh, give them flexibility, future tools. Uh, tools you want to look at, you know, if you think about, you know, Python and the science, uh, sci-fi library, and just the growth of that, the models and the tools that are available, PyTorch, TensorFlow, you know, what tool sets do we pick or can we pick that best enable us uh, for the near future uh, with them? So far, we had a really good choice. So far, it looks really good as well. We'll talk about that as well. The other key thing when we started on this journey is we have to pick a use case. You just can't pick it, hey, we're going to set up a platform and then we're going to try and see if we can accomplish anything. Um, so we're going to recommend, uh, make a recommender system. Anyone guess what we recommend? It's not people. <laughs> not people. Cars. Great answer. Uh, also, uh, search clicks bidding. I'll talk a little bit about that. 
Uh, when you're searching on the internet, we are actively out there trying to bid and make sure we pride and procuring the right kind of clicks, right kind of search terms to direct you to CarMax.com. Uh, customer scoring, some stuff we do about the prioritization of customers as they are in their journey in the Omnichannel. If you've been on the call center talking to folks or you're trying to uh, get to, you know, you know they, we want to sell you a car or appraise your car and trade it in and buy it from you. So we kind of you know, help that to help prioritize how and when we talk to customers through the call centers. Lots of other use cases. So maybe um, I can jump in. Um, before uh, our team uh, was created about a year ago, these data scientists, I mean, they were already working on a recommended system. They were working on customer scoring models, things like that. They were doing this on their laptops. And anyone who's trying to do data science on their laptops, unless it's a really nice small data set, you're going to run into computational um, issues. And, and that's why almost immediately when we stood up a lab environment for them, for them to be able to access um, Greater computation. I mean, the, the benefit was almost immediate for them. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good point. I think you, know, if you think about it, just they're, they're trying to look at sales data, click data. It just doesn't fit on your laptops. Uh, we started with these following goals. We did a phase approach. We started in July of 2018. Uh, in November of 2018, we deployed on Azure Databricks. I'll talk more about the technologies a little bit later. Uh, with Azure Databricks uh, in Azure, a batch uh, daily upload of recommendations. This is a huge leap for us because before it was done on a laptop, big data sets were made, as big as you can make them on a laptop, shipped off to our online systems folks, and they wrote a bunch of .NET code to kind of wrap it up and kind of present those recommendations online. Cool, it was a great step, but the flexibility for the data scientists to continue to mature that model, add additional features to those models, was very hindering because that was multiple weeks uh, before they can make changes to that model. If they found out they deployed it was wrong, then they have to get that back out. And again, you know, it takes a long, long time to do that. So a lot of stuff, we re-platformed recommender system, um, set up a uh, data lake. We've never had a data lake at uh, Carmack before. This is our first one. We picked Azure Data Lake Gen 1. We'll talk more about that later. Um, and then in uh, phase two, uh, from December to May, we focused on real time. How can we enable the data scientist to make changes to his model, his or her model, affect changes on those recommendation systems, as well as ingest stuff in, wasn't real real time, because what is the real requirement around real time? So it's near real time. We're about two or three hours old on some of the data, which is fantastic from the aspect of what they had before, which was anywhere from 24 to 48 hours old. Um, it really enabled that web scale SLA response times for recommendations, um, data science enablement, so they can make changes to the model. Our data scientists can make that changes that they want to do. They coordinate with us. We can deploy that. They can make a change in the morning. We can deploy that later in the day for them. So again, the tooling, that architecture, and the stuff that we did to enable them to do that. Also, a big thing on here, if anyone, anyone a data scientist here? Or aspiring data scientist? Aspiring data scientist. Come on, Harris, I'm sorry. Aspiring. <laughs> A-B testing is highly important. You want to understand, hey, I thought about a model. I thought about a way to do this thing. How can I test to make sure that it's good? So we give him the ability, our data scientists, the ability uh, to do and configure that A-B testing. Take a certain percentage of traffic, put them to a different size model. Pretty cool. Um, and this is for a key use case to prove our platform. We proved it. We added immediately other things on there, bidding, leads, other models, because we saw the value. Our data science community saw the value. They begin to use it a lot, a lot more. Questions? Yeah, that brought plenty of time at the end to ask. Good random questions. Oh, I didn't realize it was a transition slide. Uh, 
These are the kind of key technologies that we pick. Um, Azure Data Lake Storage, uh, Gen 1, we are currently migrating to Gen 2. Um, Azure Data Catalog, Azure Functions, we picked uh, serverless. Some of the content I'll cover here too is really more about lessons learned, uh, which is kind of, I think, a very value add for lots of folks you can think about when you're in a presentation. It's like, okay, cool use case, it's gonna show you an architecture diagram, and like, ooh, but really talk about our lessons learned. We learned a lot of stuff on this. Azure Cosmos, uh, Azure Data Factory, very, very powerful. Our main compute is Azure Databricks. Uh, and another thing we kind of discovered lately is uh, Delta Lake by Databricks. Proven up to be very, very powerful and kind of really, and most of us pivot on our thoughts of what a really data lake should be. Uh, we're also using MLflow as part of the Databricks uh, package as well for modeling and then lifecycle. Here's our architecture. Does this have a pointer? Yes, it does. So um, it's kind of hard to show all the detail because you've got to kind of balance out what you can show, not show. You've got to have legal look at it. So uh, we're ingesting uh, from on-prem data sources, whether it's a file server, cloud storage, our data warehouse. Uh, we're also uh, pulling external data from a website. Anyone can derive what external website data would be. Anyone can say what external website data we're pulling in. Clicks. Um, pulling all that data into our data lake. Uh, we're using Data Factory to do that orchestration of that. We use SQL Server for a metadata that metadata driven ingestion framework, working out very very well. We catalog all our data in Azure Data Catalog. Uh, one of the goals with our data lake was ensuring that we cataloged all that data, knew what we were bringing in, how it was landing in our raw, what we're doing to validate it, what we're doing to put in refined data sets. It's actually worked out very very well for us. Storing all that data, uh, a lot of stuff. And the models are all run on inside the Databricks. More in modeling exploration, and you were actually uploading data to Cosmos uh, in almost a near real time basis in batch, very micro batch. I'll get your question in a second. Micro batch, and then we're actually, we have functions out here that the online systems calls. We have a gateway, we call it a, it uses a rendezvous model. A rendezvous is kind of about checking and rechecking and rechecking, and then we have a canary. Anyone heard of a canary in the uh, caves? There's just in case, so we, we call what we're calling us, we're calling a similar model in the same model uh, function that's reading data immediately from uh, Cosmos. The canary is our backup in case we're not meeting an SLA. Our canary gets called, and it gets called on average, I think, three percent per day. Just all depends on kind of response times and what we're getting. So it was a great plan that we did in the architecture to make sure we met a good web SLA. You had a question, yeah. I'm just curious how you're using the Delta Lake and Data Lake. Talk about that later. Okay. Great question. Remind me. Are you going to post the slides to the I would love to, but no. But if you can't connect with me later or Julia, we're happy to discuss and get questions or whatnot. Or you can take a picture while I'm not looking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love PR and legal. Or it's live stream. So, yeah, I didn't know that. That should be interesting. But, you guys planning on um, I know our Microsoft account rep has asked about that. Um, we've kind of debated that, so. <laughs> I don't write, I just said back there, I don't blog, I don't want to see you blog, no. Yeah. <laughs> you blog, I don't think you do, do you? No, I don't know. <laughs> Where would you find the time, so. Great question, uh, we've been asked a couple times on the uh, white papers. We did speak at Spark AI in April. We'll probably be speaking again at Spark AI in San Francisco in April again. Do you have questions? Um, 
How do we allow them to do this? You know, a lot of stuff. You know, how we enable the data science? We get, we chose Databricks, uh, and working on maturing our uh, continuous improvement, continuous development, automation, and pipelines. They are not perfect, but man, they work very, very well. We have enabled a data scientist to make changes to his models, deploy in the same day. That's huge for CarMax. I think that's huge from a data scientist or an aspiring data scientist. How can I make changes to my models, ingest or create new features, and then send that out? Um, talk about that. Our platform and platform team uh, are enabled all of the above. So the platform team is part of this uh, platform really about enabling that technology and partnering with the data scientists. One of the key things, I think Julia will talk about this a little bit later, is partnering with the data scientists. That is key. Our data engineers, uh, we have to partner with the data scientists. We can understand their use case, what they're doing, uh, and continue to enable them. Um, I talked about A-B testing, uh, functions and gateways. You know, we have the functions and the gateway apps. That was a key thing, key learnings on there. Uh, I'll talk about some of the learnings that we learned about uh, functions and function apps. Some of our fun one, of the, one set of our functions are in C Sharp. Uh, the other function is in Python. Uh, that was an interesting task that we undertook. Same thing worked out there very well. And we collaborate weekly and focus on business value and delivery. So one of the key things with our culture is uh, agile culture, product-oriented culture. So it's really about that collaboration and ensuring we understand business value and not just doing something because we think about, hey, that's pretty cool from the platform. And each sprint, what's another key thing in here, each sprint we're incorporating automation, platform enhancements, and other key features every sprint. We can release those. If it's ready today, we can release it today. Questions? Oh, quick demo on recommendations. Do you want to navigate the demo? Sure, quickly, uh, demo. Um, what recommendations look like uh, in one spot on CarMax.com? Uh, we call it a car page. So when you're looking at cars, novel concept. I'm a Mini Cooper fan, so we're actually going to look at Mini Coopers. So here's a, here's a car page with Mini Cooper. Um, actually, four of us rode up in my Mini Cooper this morning. I thought it was pretty cool. Pretty spacious. <laughs> they like the cool lights. If I'm looking at a car, um, you guys got some features of the car. If you scroll down, this is going to change and mature uh, very quickly this, uh, this fall. Um, as we deploy stuff, but the recommendations are down here. So we're going to, based on model, that specific model, we have models that use recommender type of systems as well as collaborative filtering to come up with things that are based on that model. And that they're available via the store where I'm at, which I think my store is at the top. I can't remember what the store was. Um, and then I'm going to do, based on the vehicle, based on prior vehicle history. So I was looking at Mazda's, RAV4's, uh, where this other banner is based on my prior history. So these are customized. Oh, yeah, dead battery. <laughs> I'll talk louder. Everyone can hear me okay? Do you want one? Perhaps. You also have one. I'll keep talking. So these are personalized based on my history, based on my uh, information that we have uh, on the website, down at the bottom banner, as well as these are again based on model. So I'm going to decide to create new model what systems in the state model and I need one more variety of those. Our data centers are learning a tremendous lot about the experience. You know, how can we drive clicks? At the end of the day, we're trying to sell you a car. 
So how are we connecting these clicks to either leads or sales, sell, sell or they talk? So with the data that's on the website, you know, one tracks everything on a website these days, unless you're browsing an incognito. But, um, and we, and we drive that to understand value. So doing that A-B testing, what he's able to do is understand, hey, is this driving value? We've, we're looking at different things. How number of cars in the banner? Is it two banners? Is it one banner? How do you prioritize the cars that are in those banners? You know, how do we show you the first car versus the last car? So there's weighting and valuation. We do on that based on click history, sales, uh, and other factors that we have. Now, like, if I'm in Boston, London, like, California, so, so you scroll to the top, please. Yeah. So your browser magically tells you where you're at. So we're going to pick a store, and then pay a fine store. So based on location, uh, there's other factors based on where you're browsing, where you're on mobile, what we call native apps. Uh, but that behavior does change. We're actually, actually, those are called features that a data scientist will add to the model. He's working on stuff around location, location awareness, and popularity of vehicles. And so he just makes incorporations that into his model and can deploy that. Other questions? That one's still available. You free hold. Click on it. Go get it. All right, next slide. demo. Uh, Julia's going to talk about her culture. So, um, so I've been at Comex for about three months now, and um, I, uh, I transitioned from managing a team in a nonprofit sort of a government type of organization, mentioned as well. And the first thing I felt about Carmax, which is great, is it's, it's almost hyper collaborative. I mean, every I mean, we do a lot on teams where the way we're set up is big open space. We're constantly um, interacting with one another. Uh, if you have a problem, you just find someone, find a solution, go make it happen. So, uh, very different culture, but I think it's this type of culture that really enables us to innovate and continue innovating um, in the future. And some of that is just also these kind of, uh, you know, fail fast and hard. Um, if you come up with an idea, let's make a proof of concept. Um, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, no big deal, let's move on. And so it's kind of these, uh, we're just trying to demonstrate these uh, short cycles of discovery and uh, development, basically. And that's within our team, and that's also with the data scientists, and that's with the products team. So again, we're a team of teams, and um, and this is just what drives us to be able to deploy um, these data science models rather quickly and to keep testing out um, new types of models, new model versions, as you were saying. So. Uh, that's really the backbone of the sort of the data science and machine learning engineering culture at Carmax. And I think to, to kind of echo with Julia, and that's the, the, the key thing is, and I'll talk about some of the lessons learned. We've had some uh, hard, expensive uh, lessons learned. I think the culture enables us to do that. Yeah, you can't go, go a million dollars in Azure. Well, Microsoft would love that, you know, and we, you know, we did spend some money in a week accidentally on some stuff. We'll talk about it in our lessons learned. Yes. Questions on our culture? So with, uh, with Agile frameworks, we see them a lot in uh, sort of lower price point types of products, like a $5. Hey. 
Um, so with Agile frameworks, you see them a lot in more like lower price point types of products, but with something that's a purchase price of you know ten thousand dollars and up, um, maybe you don't see as much conversion as something that's a cheaper product. Are you seeing are any limitations in adopting this at all? Adopting an Agile framework? Yeah. Uh, no, the, the hardest part for us is, as you think, we have a product focus. So product teams think you're gonna, you need to run and operate and do things autonomously within that product team because you're focused on your strategy. Uh, we do have to collaborate. So we collaborate with a couple product teams uh, in order to do that. And our culture just allows us to be able to do that, make those teams make decisions. There's nobody up on high saying, today you're going to go deliver this in two weeks. You, we have a defined high-level strategy and kind of go afters on key indicators we're going to go after, and we focus on those. And we focus on that and see how quickly we can deliver those in two weeks. So there's no object up on high sense, the strategy, the go afters, and we focus on that. We let the teams go focus on it, the product owners go and focus on it. We also have um, like innovation garages, which is where my shirt comes from. We have the, I mean, we have them yearly now. Hopefully, it could be something like quarterly almost. And um, we had like I don't know over a dozen amazing projects come out of the innovation garage. And our managers and our leadership just says, "Go make it happen." Spend you know part of a sprint to dedicate that to innovation Fridays, for example, and see if you can bring your um, proof of concept that you did during the innovation garage into sort of a more robust POC, and then you usually uh, pitch it to the VPs, see if it is something that aligns with our product strategy, and if it does, um, you know, you can go ahead and run with it. So it's pretty neat that way. Yeah, our team did a pretty cool concept with uh, Julia, uh, and so hopefully we get that someplace in uh, lessons learned. Fail fast and learn. You have to do that. You have to enable your team to do that. There's lots of stuff on here. Um, you know, trying to make things 100% automated. If you read some of those purest books, like, you know, you got to do that. You got to do that out of the gate. You got to do it out of the gate. And to me, that just feels like a waterfall project. You got to, and agile, you got to constantly have the themes about working on your tech deck, working on backlog. As Julia elaborated, we just started with our teams every Friday. It's a half day. One is automation, one is tech. That I think. One is like DevOps. DevOps automation. automation. So dedicate that. Do whatever you want. It could be something specific to that project, or if you want to go, hey, figure out how to do something else, uh, go do that. Last Friday was Azure DevOps. We're using Azure DevOps. So, you know, how can we pivot and start using Azure DevOps and can that benefit us from the team? Um, and we're able to do that, you know, work on a tech deck, um, you know, things like data lake permissions and design are crucial. You know, as our data lake grew, we had to discover stuff. So in the only, only way to do that, we'd say, hey, we're going to the next data lake or we need to fix permissions, a whole sprint. Let's just kind of dedicate that as tech deck and continue to chip away at that and enable and deploy something or fix something in every single sprint. Um, permissions has been a challenge for us. Um, that's what we did first generally. Uh, we did Gen 1. That's how we figured out we're going to use that versus something else. Uh, and we're moving to Gen 2. Uh, we have almost 50 terabytes. We just can't move everything at once. So we had to kind of think about how we re-ingest things that we could re-ingest or how do we move things and re-ingest those levels to our uh, daily zone. So uh, not as easy as having a copy from one storage unit to another storage. Uh, application models, again, we uh, uh, partner with the data scientists early and guide them in engineering practices. We still have lots to learn. There's challenges in how you kind of do things. How do you do co-checking? How do you test things that are contained within a notebook and, you know, how do you think about is a notebook, can you make that be more specifically contained thing versus an all-encompassing giant application, 75 cells, you know, the stuff we're learning how to do, 
we've not done well, but we learned some really cool stuff. Uh, deployment and, and operationalized models. You know, it's complex, requires a lot. We originally thought we were going to deploy these uh, models, wrap them uh, with Swagger, and deploy them in Azure Kubernetes service. That's, that's a big hill to climb. So we kind of pivoted on that a little bit and found Python-based Azure functions, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and it worked out very, very well. We had some bumps and bruises. <laughs> they a couple times, but they work, and they're very performant. Uh, and we, you know, robust framework alerts and dashboards. So you know, we've had to learn as well, how do we create the tooling around the right alerts, you know, specifically if we have a web SLA on some stuff, how are we ensure we're doing that stuff? How do we do alerts on that stuff, make sure all our pipelines are working, all the data feeds are working, as well as if things end up and scale out of cost. You know, how do we learn ourselves on cost? Like, a good lesson learned on cost as well. And our um, monitoring framework, I mean, this is something that just like just yesterday we had meetings with all the way up to leadership. I mean, um, uh, our uh, VP of data science wants to see sort of an executive dashboard for the health of the, the platform and the application. So when he wants to get more funding for data science, you know, say, hey, all of our things that are in production right now are up and running. I mean, how, how do you show that through metrics? So we're going through sort of a process of defining these metrics both on a high level for executives and then also more on an operational level and um, and it's it's not easy and how do you do that do you do it natively in Azure do you do it in Tableau do you do Power BI um, you know now we don't want to use too many tools and too many places to monitor things and what should be monitored um, via person so actually someone going in and who may be a person who's on call and visually looking at certain metrics versus just pinging when something goes down and it being you know, more automated. So um, those are everything that um, comes with the whole idea of operationalizing um, data science and that really leads into this machine learning engineering practice that we're, we're trying to kind of grow um, on our team. Great, we're good point to that. So what tools do you use to manage your sprints and source code for them? You said that last uh, Yeah, uh, GitHub Enterprise, LeanKit. LeanKit, Python view. Your standard, I mean, yeah. and so. just varying, varying rules on how to do that. We've not, we've changed how we use LinkedIn several times. Mm -hmm. Yes, our <laughs> um, boards have changed. Our boards have changed, <laughs> yeah. but you have to be able to do that. You can, yeah, you know, kind of it's a Kanban style. I prefer Kanban style where you kind of put the cards up and just prioritize mm -hmm. and go to work. And so we kind of we're working on that. But you know, what we do in our retros, we try to figure out, hey, what does the team want to do? We're, Julie and I are not going to mandate what they do. We're just going to ensure they're following best practices or things that we think are our goals or things that are go-afters. We let them decide, and they decide how they want to change their sprints. And we sort of also have sort of two ways of viewing how we uh, manage the teams or sub-teams on our team is we have a platforms team, and then we have verticals, so platforms horizontal, and then um, all of these applications, which are really the models, they're verticals, and they each have their own sprint cycles and their own boards, and um, and we sort of rotate people between the applications and the platforms, so everyone is pretty well-rounded after a while. And it kind of helps us focus on things that are app-focused versus uh, sort of general platform-focused. So. What's the rough size of your team? What is the rough size of your uh, team? Right now, I mean, around, 10, 12, maybe, something like that. So we have uh, um, like two thirds CarMax associates, and then uh, we, we have um, CapTech consultants. And we're hiring, we'll talk about that later. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
It's not a lesson learned, but it's great. Uh, Databricks, uh, this was really cool. Uh, we went out and we kind of evaluated H2AI, uh, Data IQ, uh, and a couple others. It ended up being uh, H2AI and Databricks. We chose Databricks. They were brand new. So it was August of last year. Uh, it's worked out very, very well. Um, you know, we got to be careful how you know we kind of understand what real time is, what not real time is. You can do streaming in Databricks. It is awesome, but do you really need to do it? You know, what is the true business requirement for that real time? Well, hey, if it's two or three hours old, this is like, oh yeah, perfect. They're happy. Um, so just the stuff we're doing. Um, you know, we've got some stuff that are long running data submissions uh, and APIs. We're submitting data uh, for some of our bidding work. Um, those are very long running, so we have Spark clusters, which can be expensive, that run for about seven hours. We run very small ones, but you know, is there a better way to do that? But when we're trying to haul a bunch of data off to an API, you kind of okay, how do I get data out of my data? You can haul it off to an API somewhere. Uh, it's actually worked out very well. Um, we still kind of have doubts in how it works and what it works, but at the end of the day, when it works, it works. Actually, you're on call, so I'm going to have to make sure we have any issues with that today. Um, Non-type uh, Spark workloads. The other thing too is like, you know, it, it, do we do it on Spark? Is it really heavy lifting, or are we just kind of doing some movements, kind of things? We're trying to figure out what the best way to do that uh, kind of stuff is. Um, Python library, maybe this is a big one. So we have lots of pipelines that are kind of time sensitive and how they run. I asked one of our data engineers here today. Um, you can choose to when those clusters spin up, get, go get all the libraries from Maven or PyPy wherever you need them. But if Maven for some reason is not available, this happened to us three weeks ago all of our pipelines were dying. You know, so a lesson learned on us, which Databricks said, hey, you guys want to make sure you do this, we pre-configure our clusters so when they start up, they automatically will bring all those libraries in. It's not dependent, so the pipelines don't become dependent. And actually, we keep all those libraries local in our Databricks works, Databricks workspace. It saves tremendous amount of cluster startup time, especially if you're going off you know, quite a few downloads of things. Uh, we integrate very well with Data Factory and Cosmos. Uh, Data Factory can call uh, and Articulate, orchestrate Databricks notebooks and do lots of different things like that. We'll talk about a little bit later, as well as some of our data factory stuff. Questions on some Databricks? I still have more slides on Databricks. We're big fans of Databricks. Uh, Databricks, Delta Lake. Delta Lake is really cool. If you've not read about it, heard about it, everyone thinks in your, in your data lake you're going to write once, read many. We really had to kind of peel our sleeves back. Rethink how we thought about some of those use cases and our best practices in data lakes because of uh, actions and laws like California Consumer Protection Act. Everybody familiar with that? Like your data privacy. You're not thinking about your data privacy. You should be thinking about your data privacy. Um, we had to think about so how do we go through and update super large data sets that are clicks or customer history or transactional history? How do you do that in the data lake? Delta Lake is fantastic so far. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned some lessons on that. So if you create, you, you create those, you create your uh, your data sets, and you when you apply, you land them in a data lake, you apply either Parquet or Avro over the top of those. You change your table definition and call it a delta table, and it keeps history. So how that table changes, the data changes, and all that stuff. And you can go and you can do queries on it. You can query the time, see what it looked like between yesterday and today. Uh, you can do queries on that stuff. It's very very fast. Yes, you have to size your clusters correctly, but we're proving out this is working out very very well. It's been a game changer for us because we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? And we partnered with Databricks. We got some use cases from some of the customers that were doing much larger data sets than we were. And they used Delta Lake to that stuff. And you can take stuff that you haven't applied Delta Lake to it, apply Delta Lake to it remarkably fast, or faster than you think it would be. Hours, not days. 
Delta.io, go check it out. I encourage you to do that. There's an open source project. If you've got your own flavor data bricks, you've got your own data lake running on Hadoop, uh, would not check it out. If not, we use it through the Databricks uh, path service on Azure. It's worked out very, very well. Uh, CI, CD is possible. There's a really cool uh, CI, a rich API for Databricks, so don't forget that. Everything that happens inside of Databricks is all APIs. It's really, really cool. We always forget about it on the team. We always have to remind ourselves. Don't forget there's a really cool API in there, but it's an API. God, how do I handle all that stuff? Datathirst has got a really cool set of PowerShell tools, uh, which one of the team members found, and it's worked out very, very well, makes it very, very easy. So people like Azure Data Engineering doesn't have to write, worry about, okay, how do I authenticate the API, manipulate the API? It's got really cool wrapped functions, and it works very, very well. Anything from workbooks, exporting, executing, running, anything. It's really, really cool. Questions on Databricks or Delta Lake? Our SQL server is purely for a uh, ingestion framework. That's it. Metadata. Yep. Everything, all the data is in the data lake. If we either store in raw files or apply typical uh, parquet and compose. And why don't we use because that's what Delta Lake gives you. It really makes it lack like a, uh, like a relational database. You can actually go and query that table that's sitting out there, that click file, and go, hey, what did it look like yesterday at 3 p.m.? Or in a, in a point in time stuff, as well as updates and deletes. It's fantastic. And it changes how everyone thought about HDFS and how I operate on a data lake. You know, everyone, I think all your peer, all the purists out there, even me, everybody, even Julia, when she first joined the team, she's like, oh, no, 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 this is wrong. David on our team. No, it changes and makes you rethink. Because you can do this now. That's pretty cool. Read about it. Any other questions? What is the size? What size of our delta? Our data lake? Uh, delta lake is uh, as a software uh, package that works on top of the data lake. Does that answer your question? Delta lake is a library. It has a library of tools. So if you have a 50 terabyte data lake, you have a 50 terabyte delta lake. As long as you read the data using the library. Right. Well, I don't think he said that. Earlier. 50 terabytes. We have 50 terabytes, and that's, that's growing about a quarter of a terabyte. Uh, we start so we uh, we started the project in July. We started ingesting data in our data lake in August of last year, um, and that includes uh, almost three and a half years of click history uh, and ongoing click history plus car sales and other stuff we got from warehouse, as well as we have some third party data sources we can put as well. I have one question. Yeah, they're going off getting smaller data sets to get them to fit in their data on their laptops. It's smaller data sets of click history, small data sets from our data warehouse, and try to come up with models. You can come up with models, but they're not as accurate, and you can't get those models to change based on customer history, car history, vehicle history. The uh, car's vehicle status can change multiple times throughout the day of car rents. So we don't want to recommend a car to you, the car that you're going to buy uh, in Maryland. Yeah, Mini Cooper, the green one, which you're probably up with your bike right now. Um, <laughs> you're on hold? You know, if that car becomes unsaleable, we don't want to recommend that. You know, if there's a car up there, so we have choices too, if you think about on, on those banners, 
if a car is coming soon, we've kind of been playing around. Do we show coming soon cars that don't have pictures? Do we show them whatnot? We're trying to understand that stuff through AV testing. So remember, we enable them to do AV testing as well as other testing. But we're not uh, throwing throwing shit off, throwing dude on it. It's fantastic. They, it's a it's a game changer for us. And we are not touching all the analysts or data scientists at Carmax today. We want to touch a small part. Because like, what are the data types you're storing in the lake? Like, what's your biggest click history? Three and a half years of click history. And we're actively, every hour, so at 10 o'clock, we're ingesting uh, 8 a.m. data. You store them as raw files? We store them as files, raw files. And then we apply uh, Parquet on top of it to colonize that the way we thought saw fit. They help us define what comes So we, we apply, we can apply a loose scheme over the top of that, we're going to infer that, but we had them choose it because it's just faster. And then for a data governance point of view, we're using the Azure data catalog to make sure that you know, we need, because we foresee this scaling very rapidly, so we want to put in best practices now when the, you know, the data lake's still young and have some data governance over it. Jenny is coming someday, hopefully. Please, Microsoft. Did I answer your questions on uh, the Emily from Delta? Delta Link is a set of libraries that enable you to do asset or relational database type of stuff on top of your data lake. It's a, it's a library that's allowed to do it and does, and with that, with Databricks, when you're updating that data, it keeps that transactional history on the changes to those files in your data lake. As when they talk about this at the conference, everybody was confused. I can encourage you to go out to delta.io read about it. There's a, uh, if you go to Spark AI in April, letter Comcast talks about how to use this. Really cool. Letter, I talked hundreds of terabytes of data. Yeah, so if you remember the architecture slide, let's go back quick here. In Cosmos DB, on a batch basis, we push the model changes or data. So what's changing in there is vehicle history, click history or any other changes or features that the data scientists wanted to include and how they make the recommendations, they're updated here in this Cosmos. We push those at Cosmos from Databricks. We read from those collections in real time. There wasn't really a real-time way to stream that or you need to do that. It was more engineering than we want to do from a requirement standpoint. Will that come someday? Probably. We just want to make it, we don't want to make it real-time because that would be probably still be working on it. We want to get value out. Answer your question. Oh, um, the pipe, the, so if, is anyone, uh, there's a rec couple recommender books out there that are all an inch or thicker. So we'll read about recommender systems. Everybody uses them, but what affects that is how you use collaborative filtering other models inside of that stuff. So if you go read about Netflix or LinkedIn, 
Um, you'll read about how Amazon does that. They're all using recommender-based systems that use several models inside of this. They are very complex. I'm not a data scientist, nor will I sign up to be one. Um, we have tons of lessons learned on that stuff. Some of that stuff, probably not able to. I mean, there is. Um, I mean, the whole field uh, field of research of recommender systems is a field on its own. I mean, it, so um, and it, it really is based on you know what you're in, what industry you're in. Um, what kind of data you have, what you're trying to recommend, you know, what Netflix recommends versus what we recommend, um, what you know, Tinder recommends is, is based on very different, we're trying to recommend very different things. So that in itself is what part of our data science team is literally focusing on from a research perspective. Um, and then these models have come out you know, in the last year or two and what we do is really we productionize and oper operationalize them say that three times fast and um and that is equally as difficult and it's an entire um field of its own i mean it's emerging ml engineering is a field that's emerging um i mean amazon and all of them they, they already have entire teams for them but um that that is a field that kind of you have to understand the modeling but you really have to be coming in from an engineering mindset you really have to understand cloud platforms if you're in cloud um and um uh, you know, APIs, uh, CICD, uh, software development. I mean, there's so many skill sets there too. So in tandem, I think both the data scientists and um, the team Todd and I are on are continuously learning and kind of bringing it all together to drive value. So, I mean, it's just an enormous field. So, go ahead. It's related. Um, so, actually, Netflix uses an index approach. Uh, I was wondering if there's an index Part of your search index, it's part of your platform, or you're doing everything through model evaluation in Python in terms of like what is when I go to look at one model and you're showing the same kind of range, is that coming from an index or is that just a Python evaluating and giving back? That's a ranked index. So there's models, there's models that uh, we use to determine what we believe are make model trend similarities of vehicles as well as vehicles and make model trends that are. Zip code. There's a lot of other uh, collaborative filtering that happens in uh, ranked order. But where does that data eventually sit? Is that in an index like Azure Search or Solar? Or, or it's in Cosmos. Okay, it's in Cosmos. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're putting, you're doing the ranking instead of having, let's say, Solar or Lucy do the ranking. Okay. We still have a few slides. But I love all the questions. Go ahead, one more. Okay. Share some of that effect. In a room with no microphones. <laughs> uh, ingestion framework. I'm going to kind of skip through some of this stuff. We've, we're done at 10 15. I didn't think it was take as long, but I love the questions. It's been awesome. Uh, after data catalog. Again, we picked that. It's actually got a rich API. We use that versus doing some other things. I know some of our, our peers that are in uh, Richmond have done some other ways of doing this stuff. We pick something, trying to come up with a framework, kind of come up with governance, so we can catalog everything we're putting in our data lake, so that one, it's searchable and easily searchable. Um, hoping Gen 2 comes out uh, soon with some really cool features. I know they're basing it on, and not remember the name of the Apache project, uh, but it's based on this really cool stuff. Uh, again, metadata-driven uh, ingestion framework. This is actually very, very powerful. We don't talk about this enough. Really, really cool. Uh, just allows a, a retry, so we're getting data from our data warehouse, we're getting data from third-party sources or SFTP or other ways. Um, it's really cool, it just allows us to be very flexible. Again, ensuring things are cataloged, we're putting things in the right spot, landing things are raw, moving them to valid, moving them to refined, 
and moving data to our application zones. And I'm happy to talk offline about why we picked those zone names. Azure uh, Data Factory uh, orchestration, if you've not messed around, it's actually really, really cool, great for orchestration, very powerful. You can put custom code in your activities, uh, which you can connect to just about anything on Azure. We actually connect to on-prem. Um, with Azure Data Factory for a data warehouse. Uh, they also allow you to connect to S3 buckets on uh, AWS, which is really cool. Or external KPIs. Uh, Cosmos. Cosmos is awesome. Anybody use Cosmos? Anybody spend a lot of money with Cosmos? <laughs> uh, really cool. I think the big thing in it is you go really have to work on your data model and how you structure your collections. Uh, you can't do joined across collections. Well, you can, not efficient. Uh, really cool uh, for uh, doing regional stuff. We have east and west, as you can see. Really cool. I, I wanted it in the I wanted the west, and it's a read-only region. You click on it, Cosmos takes care of it. I'm not worrying you have to do that replication or maintain an SLA. As long as your Cosmos is follow good practices, they guarantee that SLA has worked out extremely well. Uh, the downside of that is your RUs. Uh, we ran forty. Whoops, we ran forty thousand RUs for a week. Uh, we spent thousands of dollars on Cosmos in one week. It was really cool. <laughs> Again, a lesson learned. We had to figure out a retool for alerting when we scaled up to insert a bunch of data really quick in Cosmos. We scaled up. Part of that, part of that pipeline failed. Kept the scale up at forty thousand, and we spent some money. Looks like you have a question. No. <laughs> Cost management. Cost management. You know, really cool stuff. They're actually, if, you know, we need Cosmos training. We want Cosmos training. Uh, Microsoft Office Richmond did that. And basically, it's slides and content driven off these two slides. Actually, this one, gotcosmos.com. Go there. It's fantastic. Tons of use cases, tons of slides, tons of content. Also, if you're like me, I'm a dude and I like pictures. Uh, this right here, Cosmic Notes, one of the uh, Cosmos PMs. She posts on LinkedIn all the time. This is actually where they all sit here. They're really cool. Hey, how do I do indexing? And they've got a drawing, a hand-drawn drawing. It's fantastic. Makes sense to me. Resonates. I'm good with that. So, um, can spin up, learn, and utilize Cosmos. Do it. Figure it out. You know, we encourage our team members to learn, figure it out. It's lots of cool things you can do with it. But again, like I said, you can spend some money pretty quick. Uh, functions. Uh, we didn't want to manage any instances. We didn't want to have VMs running our functions, right, Madhu? No VMs running functions, so we wanted we wanted to say, let's try serverless. Can we do this? Because we didn't want to have somebody on our team managing, restarting, making sure VMs are you know, are talking to one another, or you know, Kubernetes was a hill we didn't want to climb at that time. So we picked App Service Plan. Uh, we picked C Sharp, really cool. Microsoft had just released in private preview Python on Linux on App Service Plan. Very cool because the data scientist has code he can read and understand and change and deploy it to a function and make effective changes pretty darn quickly. Really cool, lots of lessons learned on that stuff. Private previews, while cool, can be a little challenging because you just, you know, you have to work through the bumps and bruises as, as uh, Microsoft works through the bumps and bruises and does releases and stuff like that, so. Really cool, uh, it's been uh, very performant. We had spiky performance issues and when they're doing patching and deployments, those Python functions on Linux did not want to behave at all. So we kind of learned a lot of stuff through this uh, we kept on it. My boss kept asking me, uh, why are we doing this? Are you sure you want to do this? Now, our response times are phenomenal. We don't have issues that deal with the stuff we did with the buyer. So, uh, this is a, here's a good lesson learned from here. 
really put this into action very quickly. So make sure you've got people with the right roles and responsibilities on your platform and they don't accidentally delete these resources that are critical. I've done that. Make sure you have any of your resources you updated, you're doing it by a code, not by a report. Good lesson learned. Let's put a sprint on that. Uh, again, we're a big, uh, big company, big, huge on transition and digital transformation, product and focus. CarMax is really, really cool. Um, they enable us, you know, people like me, Ash Sutter team, John's here, Madhu, uh, David Moore's here, our team, one of our senior data engineers. They enable us to kind of really go out and find cool things or better ways to solve things. So I think that's really cool. Uh, who we are, Cloud uh, Duty. Uh, data science and ML architect. Uh, how do you learn? It's always my big question. If you're in an interview with me, that's one of the first questions I'm going to ask you. Huge podcast person. I wrote with four people today, so it was all chit chat and social. Didn't get to listen to one of my podcasts. Ask me later about my podcasts. They're really cool. My favorite one currently is Big Data Beard, principal engineer from Dell. He does that. He's actually doing around the country right now in an RV. He's pretty cool. He's pretty funny. Go out there and watch that podcast. It's pretty cool. Uh, and I always challenge myself in technology, uh, read PLCs, etc. I think John made a comment about me. If, if I'm not sleeping, I'm going to try and figure stuff out. You know, I, yes, I have a family, but you know, you have to try and figure out and find time to do these things. If you want to be doing cool things, you've got to go find cool things to do yourself. Just personal goals. Uh, our team started a book club with Julia. Uh, David actually started. David's up front right here. Started a book club. We're reading the Spark uh, Definitive Guide. I think that's really cool. If you want to collaborate with your team, start a book club. And dedicate, you know, every couple weeks to meet and just talk about the chapters. It's a great way to kind of get everybody on the same cadence, learning and asking questions about technologies and whatnot. So I think it's really cool. Find me on LinkedIn. If you do be happy to join. Julia. Yeah, so I mean we have a culture and a team of continuous learning. You, you have to in this field. Um, and you're looking at anywhere from uh, catching up on what's happening with platforms to what's happening in data science, what's happening in ML engineering. I mean, I sometimes feel so humbled by this entire space. So what we like to do is just um, anytime you have 15, 20 minutes, read an article, listen to podcasts when you're at home, um, go on YouTube for 10 minutes, you know, before you close out the day, and just kind of keep learning, um, get certified if you need. Um, so again, just a big learning culture. That's the only way uh, folks are going to be able to innovate, you know, in the future, now and in the future. And we, we really encourage that. Um, and I really don't like to talk about myself, but. Um, I guess I will. Um, so, I mean, I basically just finished my second master's in, in data science with a specialization in AI from um, Northwestern University. And uh, that's a formal way to learn data science. It took me um, four years part time while, you know, still holding down a management job and being a mom and, you know, life in general. So, I mean, that's one way to do it. Um, if you want to get break into the space, uh, I've seen people just go crazy with Coursera and, um, projects they're doing on their own and and truly when we hire we're we're not looking for uh, formal education versus not it's really just personality do you have the team fit can you collaborate well are you innovative you know do you have something to show us regarding what, what kind of like maybe a small portfolio you have and in, in, in the end you know um, we're not the type of company go oh well you don't have a PhD you don't have a master's this it's really just comes down to the person and what kind of skills that you bring in, no matter how you acquired it. So, and um, I can't say this enough, we are hiring, and for those folks like me who actually don't come from Richmond, it's a really cool place. Um, it's, it's artsy, it's, if, you, if you're a foodie, we have great restaurants, cost of living is like half of Nova, just throwing it out there. 
Um, and, but you're still in Virginia and get to enjoy everything. So um, we're always looking for talent. I mean, we're looking for anyone in big data, um, cloud platforms, uh, from data engineering. If you have a long history of you know, ETL work and stuff like that, we're also looking for folks uh, with a data science background who kind of wants to kind of teeter over into the mach machine learning engineering side through more of a technologist rather than a pure like data scientist researcher. We're also looking for those and our data science team is also hiring. So um, there's plenty of jobs all on, oh, um, all on CarMax.com uh, under careers or just literally just study. Contact Todd and I, we're, we're pretty informal that way. So. That's our slide, so we'll take uh, any other questions. Yeah, Azure Kubernetes are very interesting. Uh, it's probably uh, something we'll probably look at on a future basis. Uh, just adds complexity against uh, mm -hmm. one of the clients so far, so good. Works out. But we may incorporate that as the business requirements come up. Uh, customer scoring. Um, at a very high level, uh, as customers interact, whether you interact with them on the phone, call center, uh, online, app, <coughs> browser, work, or whatnot. Uh, we're trying to on-site, we're trying to understand who you are, uh, how best to serve you, so as customers come into a queue, whether you're in call center or in stores, we can understand how we kind of uh, prioritize you and where we should go after. So if the call center is going doing some outbound calls or one of the stores doing outbound calls, they're going to use a list that's based on customer scores, how we score them, and who should go to you after. It's a propensity to buy lines. We have a very good cloud team and a very good information security team, cybersecurity team. Uh, we have practices by which we follow, making sure we're, we're wrapping things around with the right VNets, NSGs, uh, and we're using the right things and partnering with Microsoft you know, and the things that we're doing ensure we keep all that stuff secure. So the storage we're using while we're going to Gen 2 is based on blob. We can put a VNet around it, sits inside our firewalls, essentially inside of our networks uh, on Azure, uh, and it works out very, very well. Same with Databricks. We're using Databricks and those clusters are spun up inside of our VNets. We're using what's called VNet injection with Databricks. It was previewed uh, a bit in the spring and summer. We're actually using that production that allows us then to release some of the control we have around that launch. We have the firewalls that we don't understand what's sitting inside there and what the traffic's doing. Can you speak a little more uh, specifically about, uh, at a technical level, how you accomplish that handoff from the data science process to operationalizing the model? At the end of the data scientist's workflow, the data model, what do you get and how you push that into that operationalized? Data scientists, when they're doing that, should not come to us and just throw it off the wall. So the moment they start on that work, hey, let them go figure out what they want to do and all that work they want and how they want to work on that. It's a collaboration. So we will say, okay, great. Let's start talking about what you're doing, what this is case you're trying to do. And then we have some standards that we need to revisit on how notebook standards and how we want to just define that stuff. So what we'll do is with our data engineers, they'll partner with somebody to help you. What are you trying to do? If it's a new reporting pipeline or a new, 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 new component of the model, making sure it's following some of our standards so we can make sure it operates correctly on the platform. If we have to create new features on our platform, that's why the data engineers can be this early so that we can then put in our backlog and create features that we might know to support that model. 
It's not really a technical, it's more of a collaboration, it's a business thing. It's really, if there's an easy business process someone can give me in that stuff, or a technical process, I'm willing to listen, but I don't think there is. There is. You really have to have your engineers and your ML engineers, your architecture commanders, you have to partner with them. And now we've just discovered that um, we're coming to a phase of more uh, really monitoring of the models and so forth is, is really important. So now we know that early on in the conversation, we're going to also ask you, you know, what, you know, what metrics do you want to see? Um, how are we going to monitor this? And again, it's a partnership and it's a lot of um, team building. I mean, we do a lot of team builders at CarMax, which is awesome. But um, it's going out on team builders with the recommender team, which is products, the data scientists, and the engineering team, and just it's also informal. It's where you sit. Are you guys, uh, you know, sitting together half of the week, just informally talking? Um, that's when the ideas come. You go, oh, can you? You have a better, you know, um, programming background. Can you help me with this? And then the data scientists maybe spend some more time uh, talking to us about, you know, what they're really trying to do with the model. And and that back and forth between the, all the different types of skill sets is really how, in the end, you operationalize it. And it's. Uh, it's it's a bit of an art as well. I mean, it's not straight. <laughs> we are not perfect by any means. Yeah. We are trying, you know. And when we do our retros, our team, you know, we had one two Fridays ago. You're our team builder. There's lots of things we have to improve on that. I figure how we do that. Not perfect. We got to have a collaboration. Yeah. Great question. We have about I think one more question. Yeah. Yeah. Any more questions? All right. I think we're going to wrap up. Thank but, you. Yeah.